Hey, good morning, Midtown. Sorry about that cough, if you heard that. <laughs> my, my bad. Didn't know the mic was on. Uh, good to see you guys this morning. My name is Justin, uh, one of the associate pastors here at Midtown. Uh, if I haven't met, met you yet, would love to, so come say hi afterward. I see a couple new faces out there. Uh, if you're new and visiting, we especially hope that you met someone kind next to you already. I'm sure you have. I want to welcome Aiden back. If you guys know Aiden's back, yeah, he's been uh, studying this summer and heading in a few months, actually heading uh, overseas as one of our missionaries. So good to see you again, man. Uh, we are continuing our series on what makes you happy. So we've been doing a, several weeks now. Uh, you could say that some of the first times that we taught about it were more like things that we need to believe. So it was kind of heavy on like things that if we believe that will make us prone to more happiness. And now we're kind of moving into a little bit more practical, like here's some things that you can do to be happy. I have to admit that I messed up last week. Jake did a great sermon last week on, on idolatry and how we kind of look to good things, but when we make them God things, it turns actually very destructive and leads not to our happiness. And I messed up the podcast last week, so it's my fault. Uh, sorry that we don't have that one, but uh, we'll try to record this one and keep the series going. Um, this one's going to be super practical, and really what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to look at things that God has built into humanity, things that I'll just say like is baked in, like you've heard that term, like it's already baked into the cake. There are certain things that were baked in to our humanity, how God made us, that, that will lead us to happiness. There's things that He's already baked into humanity, but there's also what I'll call happiness hindrances, that each of these things, these five activities, I'll say things that we can do that will give us a greater propensity toward happiness. They're also fighting or warring against these other things that I'll call happiness hindrances that get in our way. So before we jump into that, though, I was trying to think, like, what would be like a, an illustration or what would make sense to us? And the best thing I could think about is parenting. Like those of you who are parents and you have kids, you know that you actually know your kids really well. And particularly when they're younger, what you guys do is you structure your day and you structure things in their lives to make sure that you have the best possible outcome for your kid, right? <laughs> Like, you've got stuff that you've kind of baked in to say, hey, I know my son, I know my daughter, so I'm going to build these in. And I emailed a few of your parents, since Brenda and I don't have kids, I had to find stories from you guys. And so most of the stories revolved around food, like hangry kids, you know, like hangry kids are bad, right? So that, that happens. Uh, a lot of the stories were about devices, like how much time they do or do not spend on, the, on devices. And of course, sleep, right? You've got to kind of build a rhythm of, of sleep for your kids. And so as parents, you know what's best. So... For instance, I, I talked to the hollers, and Blake told me that Kate always needs protein or she gets very hangry. Now, Kate's a little bit older, so she was taught even what the word hangry means, and, and now she actually understands why protein's important for her. But then she, because she's so wise, she came back to her parents and said, do you think sugar works the same way? Like, I, I'm pretty sure that would help me with my hangriness. Um, uh, Beth, uh, Carol actually emailed and said that back when uh, Jude was younger in particular, they had to give him protein the second that he got out of school before they would even be willing to talk to him. They just said, nope, you've got to eat before we're willing to talk. Or I like that uh, uh, Leanne uh, Ralston said that she described dinner hour. She said dinner is what I call arsenic hour. She says, but she's learned that she can promise this cartoon that comes on PBS at 5 o'clock, and if they can clean up all their toys before 5 o'clock, then they can watch the cartoon. And then in her words, it works like a charm. The house is cleaned up by five, and I get silence for 30 minutes while I cook and drink a glass of wine. <laughs> so, like, like you, you get it, right? As parents, you understand your kids, and you know the type of rhythms or the things that if they would do or the things that will be destructive toward their happiness, God's the same way with us. And so he's built in some rhythms that we'll talk about that I think will be very helpful uh, for us. 
Before I do that, I want to make a couple concessions because when you touch on a subject like this, like you could make a concession like at every point. So I'm going to get all the concessions out at the front. <laughs> and so the first concession is this is not meant to be like a quick fix. Like I'm not going to say, hey, do these five things and everything's going to be great. Like I want to be careful that we're not saying, hey, just, just practice these things and you'll be 100% happy, okay? It's not a quick fix. You can't self-will yourself into, into, into these things. But as you start to practice them, I'm convinced that they're tried and true because how God's created us. Uh, second concession is that I'm aware that we all have different hurts, habits, hang-ups. We all have different things going on in our lives and our currently and things in our past that maybe make happiness harder for us to find. And so I want to be upfront about that, that, that there's lots of different places that we all enter into this. And even when you think about the five things, you might say, I'm nailing it on these three, but I'm really struggling on these two. And we're all at different places. And, and in fact, some of the things that I'll suggest, it's, not, it's like they won't work because maybe sometimes you need even like counseling or some medication or things like that. And I'm aware that those things are happening as well. So instead of making a concession at every point along the way, that's just acknowledged from the front that we're all at different places, uh, which, is, which is good because there's something wrong with all of us. <laughs> we all are in this struggle to try to find happiness in our relationship with God and with others. Um, last concession is that there's five points, which means they got to be really short. <laughs> and so I'm trusting that uh, God, the Holy Spirit, will speak to you, and I won't be able to go into great depth into these, but I hope that it'll give you something to chew on and even take home, talk about at lunch, and, and do in your own time with God this week. So... Since I don't have much to say, I should probably pray. Let's pray. God, would you ask that you would be the one that speaks? Uh, we're all at different places. We all do uh, seek to find our joy in you and want to live a life of the joy that you said we could have. And so we pray that uh, these five things would be uh, revealed just by your spirit to each of us and that some real steps toward happiness would, would continue to be a part of our lives um, as we practice them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first uh, rhythm of, to find happiness is the rhythm of rest and recreation. Rest and recreation. And what, what this does, it kind of keeps us from the happiness hindrance of busyness. All right, so that's the happy hindrance is busyness. And so what we need to do is we need to build in rest and recreation. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You've probably never thought about this before, but here's the secret. You're a human. Yeah, that's a big, big reveal, right? And as humans, that means that we have physical, emotional, mental capacities, right? We can only do so much. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We have physical uh, limitations. We've got emotional limitations. We can't take in everything and never have time to rest and process our emotions or they'll just kind of spill out, right? We're, we have mental limitations that we, we need breaks. We can't just continue to take in and take in and take in or we'll become unproductive or... or maybe just like flat crazy, right? We have limitations as humans. And that's why God, from the very start, and one, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, He built in this idea of Sabbath, that we need to rest. In Exodus 20, in the, in the Ten Commandments, He says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, yeah, the seventh day is the Sabbath to your Lord, the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the Ten Commandments, like the greatest, broadest commands, there's one that's meant for us to rest because God has 
baked it into humanity that rest is something that we need. And we need it because our propensity is to move toward the happiness hindrance of busyness, right? Don't you think our culture is way too busy? You feel like you have like tons of plates spinning at all times and too many choices and too many options and too many commitments, too many other people demanding your time. Like that's the culture that we, that we live in. Not only that, our, upon being busy, we're also like way too connected. Like you remember when like email and stuff started coming out and your phones came out and you were all promised this is going to make life so much easier. All of this technology, it's going to make everything easier. Maybe to some degree, but we've also realized it actually makes us be more busy, right? We're actually more connected because now our bosses or our friends or our family can get a hold of us at any single time and we have to feel like we have to respond in every single case. Like this is the culture that we have and we have a hard time putting down our devices, don't we? Because we're propensity is to busyness, but busyness is a happiness hindrance. What we really need is Sabbath. We don't have time to go into today as to how we actually kind of practice the Sabbath. It was very specific in the way that they practiced it uh, when, when in the time of uh, Israel and the way that they practiced it. And when the church started a whole new Sabbath day on Sunday instead of Saturday, so we have to ask the question like, well, how do we do that today? And one of the things that I, I find the, the easiest way to reflect on it is that, that Jesus himself broke the Sabbath. But he broke the Sabbath at least by the way that people interpreted the Sabbath in that day. And he was often questioned, why are you breaking the Sabbath? And one of the things that he said in answer to that question was that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is meant to be for our rest, not for us to put all these restrictions on what everyone has to do. And then that all of a sudden then we've created the Sabbath rather than God giving the Sabbath to us. And so at least in part, when Jesus answers that way, he's saying, you need to find out what the Sabbath is for you. So, so what is it for you? What is it that you particularly find restful? What is it that you particularly find recreational? And you have to make time for that because that's how God made us in our humanity. I emailed a number of you guys this week and just asked, like, what, do you, what is it? Like, when you think of Sabbath or rest, what are the things that you do to recreate? And things were listed like going on walks, playing with animals, getting away from the city. Lots of people said no social media, <laughs> no email, making myself unreachable, putting down my phone, listening to worship music, going to parks, and the one I loved best, anything, so long as I'm not distracted. Like, this is... These are the type of things that we have to say, how are we building these into our schedules? Because God has made us human, and as humans, we need these places of rest. I like to think that we need some amount of rest daily and some amount of rest weekly. You could argue annually for like a vacation or something too, but I'll just stick today with daily and weekly. Like there has to be a time in every day where you, you just say, I'm done with my devices. There has to be something in your day where you can, where you can get a little bit of rest and a mental break. I know for me it's exercise, so I just I have to work out like just at least one hour a day, and that just changes my whole outcome of my day because I've taken time. I know for me on a weekly activity, my recreation, my recreation is actually doing yard work. Like I find that really joyful. I know right now some of you are thinking, I would love for you to come rest at my house <laughs> next weekend. Just, just rest. You need some rest, Justin. No, it's only fun if it's my yard. So, but I find that to be joyful, and so for me that's a way just to kind of be in nature and recreate. And so I'm asking, like, you have to think about what it is for you and what rhythms can you build in on a daily and at least on a weekly basis to find rest. And this will lead toward greater happiness and it'll push away that hindrance of happiness called busyness. 
So let me give you a couple things just real practically that you can think about. First is to choose a day of the week to rest. Choose a day of the week to rest. Uh, we all have different work schedules in, in our society. We've got lots of people that are working on Saturdays and Sundays and have different days off. But you have to ask, like, how am I going to build this into my week? Find a recreation. I call it recreation or recreation activity. Find something that just brings you joy that you like to do. And make sure that you're making time for it at least on a weekly basis. And then I really believe the third one to help us with rest and recreation is decide a time every day to turn, on your, turn off your devices, to step away from the phone, the computer, whatever it would be. If we could build these in, we've got a greater chance of happiness. Second one is a rhythm of friends and family. You could argue just say the rhythm of community, right? We need people. So what is baked into humanity? What's baked into humanity is that God has made us relational people. Like it says from the very start, it was not good that man would be alone. And that wasn't meaning just specifically for Adam and Eve and for marriage, but, but it meant God saw that it was not good to have an earth populated by one person, that he created Adam and Eve so they could have children and more people could have relationships. It's not good for any of us to be alone. And so we need to avoid the happiness hindrance of selfishness by being involved in each other's lives. That's one of the ways that we find joy. I love the way that poet that wrote Ecclesiastes, he, he wrote it this way. It says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So God knows our need for relationships, for friends, for family, and the type of relationships that aren't just surface-level relationships. See, our culture likes to tell us that, that true happiness is found like in selfishness, right? Like, ultimately, you're going to be most happy if you can do everything that you want to do. Look out for yourself and, and do what's best for you. But what Scripture would teach us, what, what Jesus would say to us, is that happiness is found in giving yourselves to others. When you can actually love someone more than you love yourself, your capacity to have joy increases drastically. And not only so, if you're loving people more than you love yourselves and you're surrounding yourself with a community of people who also love you more than they love themselves, your capacity <laughs> to have happiness increases. It's not found in selfishness. Another thing that I, that I think is disturbing about our culture in our day too is we have lots of kind of, I would call them like fake communities. We've got everything on social media, right, or, or gaming, or we've got all these online communities where we've got people we'd call friends, but are these really the friends that know us? The type of things that will help you with your happiness is being in a relationship where someone actually knows the real you, where you're actually receiving love from them, even though they see all the flaws and weaknesses in you. Like, if you don't have those kind of friendships, if you move toward selfishness, if you move toward not being real, you're not going to be happy because God's baked it in that we need relationships with one another. One of my very favorite movies, actually it's my favorite movie, is Goodwill Hunting. I know I uh, just talked to some of you guys this morning who also love it. And I love it just because it's this, you just see the picture of this guy, good, you know, Will Hunting, who's just so afraid and so wounded. He won't allow himself to, to be loved and he won't allow himself to love other people. And it's a story of, of him just working with this counselor who ultimately gets to a breaking point where 
He receives love, and he's willing to be real about who he is. And so I wanted to show you a clip from the scene that I think fits with this idea that we need other people in our lives for happiness. So what's this? A taste his choice moment between guys? This is really nice. You got a thing for swans? Is this like a fetish? It's something like maybe we need to devote some time to? I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. Huh. I stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep and I haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? No. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, Probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watch him gasp his last breath, looking to you for help. When I ask you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. Through anything. Through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand. Because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. Powerful. That's the kind of love that, that will lead to happiness, loving someone beyond yourself. I like the way that it's stated in Colossians. This is how Paul would write to the church as to how they're to love one another. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other if you have any grievance against someone. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is a kind of community that can lead to happiness. And if we 
live selfishly or if we isolate ourselves, we miss out on it. Notice it's not a perfect community, right? Otherwise, there wouldn't be these commands to bear with each other, the the commands to forgive each other as Christ forgave us. It's not perfect because you and I are in it. But when we open ourselves to relationships with other people, we avoid selfishness, that happiness hindrance. We're more prone to happiness. Real practically on this one, I'd suggest a few things. Uh, Choose a people or a place to serve. You heard about helping in home, you know, going going like I do every week and and being with these kids on a weekly basis to serve someone. When pick a place, you've got this next month with the little ministry menu here. You can find some ways to serve that wasn't intended for (laughs) for this sermon, Uh, but any different way that you can serve inside or outside of our church. Second is uh, to make invitations and or say yes to invitations. One of the things that I find that, that happens is sometimes folks feel like they're not, maybe not in community, and so sometimes you need to be the one that actually extends invitations and invites people to go do stuff. And equally, there's often when you get invited to something, but because of your propensity towards selfishness or isolation, you end up saying no. And one courageous step would just be to say yes to invitations. And then ultimately, uh, I would say join a Midtown community. It's the lifeblood of our church. We'd love for you guys to all be in a Midtown community where you can be known and know others. Let me take us to the third rhythm that God's kind of built into us is the rhythm of gratitude and worship, which keeps us from the happiness hindrance of envy. I mean, think about it. From the very, very start, what happened was God created everything for Adam and Eve, everything that they could have, except he said there's this one tree that you're not to eat from. And what was the greatest and the first temptation? was to say, look at all the stuff around you and just to continue to point to the one thing that you can't have. That's the essence of the first temptation. Instead of looking at everything that God's given you to look at the one thing that you don't have and to be obsessed with it. It's also called coveting or envy, which is a happiness hindrance, which is why what we really need is we really need to practice gratitude. I like the way that James describes the people that he's writing to. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Does this sound like a very happy existence? Killing and coveting and quarreling and fighting all out of some desire to have something, to have it just for your own pleasure? But this is what our world tells us, right? This is what our culture tells us. Like, if you really want to find happiness, you've got to find it by getting more stuff. You need more possessions. If it's not possessions, it's experiences. You need more experiences. You need to travel. You need to do this. You need to do that. And that's where you're going to find your happiness. But much of that actually comes from a place of of coveting, a place of envying, a place of wanting more than you have and not being grateful for everything that God's already given you. But if we can build into our lives... uh, a continual gratitude in our hearts, not looking at what we don't have or what others have, but instead thanking God for the things that He has given us, we'll be more prone to happiness. I find this particularly difficult in our day and age, too, with with social media, right? Studies have shown that often a lot of times when, when people go to social media, they're actually going from a place of discontentment and loneliness. So the reason you're actually getting online is you're already in a place of discontentment. And then you're going and you're seeing the best news about all of your friends or your fake friends, right? (laughs) How do you think that goes? It leads to continual 
envying and wanting of other people's stuff rather than being content with the things that we have. I enjoyed doing, Brendan and I got to do uh, marriage counseling with uh, Cameron and Kristen, and one of the things that uh, we enjoyed learning about them was that Kristen said that they practice this thing called uh, five things. And so it's like whenever you find yourself getting to a negative spot or maybe thinking about some situation in your life that you're not too happy with, instantly think of five things that you're grateful for. And they, they practice this like regularly just as a way to kind of shift their mind from thinking about the things that they don't have to thinking about all the good things that God has given them. It's practicing gratitude. And this is a very biblical thing to do. I love the way it's written in 1 Thessalonians. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is not like a, a command. Like We've got to not read Scripture like God is commanding us to do something that causes lots of shame because we can't do this. You've got to see that God knows because He's baked into us that gratitude is a way that our hearts will be happy. And so he's telling us to rejoice always, to pray always, to give thanks always in whatever our circumstances are. And if you want to build a rhythm of gratitude in your lives, you're going to be more happy. It's as simple as that. It's a matter of focusing on the things that you do have and that God has given you rather than always focusing on the things that you don't have or the things that you want. Real practically, I'd make a few suggestions. One would be to give thanks before every meal. That's really the idea, right? I know often we pray for our food. That's always been kind of a funny prayer to me. If y'all seen uh, Tim Hawkins' video on that, it's one of my favorites. He's a Christian comedian. But why are you, you know what you're eating. You don't have to pray for the food to be blessed. It's either pizza and it's bad for you or it's broccoli and it's good, okay? We, it's all that. So really what we ought to do when we, when we have a meal, it's really a time for us to give thanks to build within our day, three, or in my case, five times a day, <laughs> you, you have a chance to sit before God and say, God, thank you for this food. But I'd encourage you, use that time not just to say thanks for the food. Think of something else in your life that you can be grateful for at that very moment. It will help you be more happy. Second thing is start a gratitude journal. Just start something where you're actually writing down what you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be a journal. It could be like an index card, or it could be just something that you put on your mirror that just say, I'm going to remember that I'm grateful for these things that are happening in my life. Last, I'd say listen to worship music. One of the things that we need to do is we need to listen to things that edify us and things that will get our mind focused on who God is and the great things that He has done for us. So listening to worship music is a great way for us to grow in gratitude and worship. The fourth rhythm is the rhythm of prayer and faith. So what has God already baked into us? He's baked into us that we're meant to thrive when we're in relationship with God that God wants us to come to Him as a father and continue just to have a trusting, faith-filled relationship with God, that He's our Father and He's going to provide for us and meet all of our needs. But we have this other happiness hindrance, right? It's the happy hindrance, happiness hindrance of worry. Anybody prone to worry? That'll be real, right? You wake up and you're just starting your, your day and the first thing that come to mind is all of your to-do list and you start getting worried about everything that you're going to get done or not get done. Or maybe you've got some, not just a daily thing, but some big situation going on in your life and you can't seem to put it down. You can't seem to get it out of your heart. You can't seem to get it out of your mind. It's causing you to lose sleep. Like worriness, we know that worrying does not lead to happiness, right? But what can lead to happiness is when we develop a life and cultivate a relationship with God where we're dependent upon Him in prayer, where our faith is in Him to be our provider. Really, the essence of worry, right, is, is when we're just, we just like realize that, man, 
I need to take control of this because I don't trust what's going on right now. I, don't, I can't trust God with this, so I'm going to go take control. Weariness tells us that you need to do something to get this done. That's how worriness plays out in our life, and worriness plays itself out in fear of the future. We start to think about the unknown and wonder what's next for us, and, and our hearts begin to race, and we think, well, I have to be in control. But the way that God has baked into us and as our need for Him to rely upon Him as a Father to meet all of our needs, present Him with our worries. This is how it says in uh, Philippians 4, a verse that you're probably familiar with, but I love it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to build a rhythm into your life that actually gives you the possibility of the peace that passes understanding, guarding your heart and your mind? You build into your life a rhythm of prayer, of reading Scripture, of remembering your relationship with God and telling God you're dependent upon Him. Instead of rushing straight into your day, starting your day by saying, God, I submit this day to you and I trust you. And by the way, here's the things that I'm worried about. And here's the things that I'm grateful for. And the promise is right there. This peace that passes understanding can be yours when you present your fears and your worries to God with thanksgiving. So real practically, a couple things I think that you could do. Start each day with Scripture and prayer. I'm a big proponent, personally, of, of spending time in the morning with God. It's not like it's better or it's right or in one way it's wrong. But because of our nature to run into our day and let the accumulation of things to do and the busyness of life overwhelm us, to pause at the very start of the day, to get time with God and present our day to God, your opportunity for happiness will go way up if you start your day that way. Second, uh, end your day with a short prayer, prayer of reflection. Just pray a, a simple prayer. Brenda and I pray a little prayer every night before we go to bed. And I'm being honest, about 50% of the time, this is true, I fall asleep during her prayer. <laughs> so I pray first and then I'm out. I tell her, I say, you just got a great reading voice. It's something about your voice, but that's a great way to end our day. Um, and third, I think this is really important, is memorize a verse that you need to remember. Whatever the occasion is, whatever the worry is, whatever your fear is, Whatever thing is going on in your life that you know that's the thing that's going to catch you up and get you in this happiness hindrance called worry, find a scripture to rest your hope in, something to remind you of who God is or remind you of his promises and memorize it and hold it to your heart. Last one, perhaps the most counterintuitive, rhythm is the rhythm of confession and repentance. What this does is it keeps us from the happiness hindrance called sin and shame. Now, this one's a little bit different because it isn't baked into the cake, so to speak. This wasn't God's original plan. This wasn't how He created us. But after Adam and Eve ate of the tree and sin came into the world, the very first thing that you do is you see Adam and Eve running off and hiding from God. And this is the propensity of our hearts ever since. That we recognize our sin and instead of just confessing and repenting and coming to God, to God with it, instead of confessing and repenting and coming to our fellow believers and asking for their help, we run like Adam and Eve, and we, we hide, and we don't want to be real about what's going on with our lives and where we've fallen short. And this cycle of sin and shame is, is probably the worst happiness hindrance, right? There's something uh, unique that, that, uh, that as believers, because we have the Holy Spirit, 
God will not let us be happy in our sin. That's the promise that, this, that the world gives us, right? Like this temptation, this sin, this thing that we're trying to go after, that's going to make us happy. But we always find that it never does. It never makes us happy. And then we compile onto that that not telling other people where we're struggling and where we need their help and where we've sinned. And then it goes from just being in sin to being in shame. And then when we're caught in shame, it's impossible to be happy. The Holy Spirit will continue to press upon our hearts and make us unhappy until we get to that place where we will come and confess. Here's how David wrote about it in Psalm 32. He says this, when I kept silent, he's referring to his sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day, all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Like David's saying, like he physically felt ill, physically hurt because he had unconfessed sin. And we're not real with God, and we're not real with our other friends and, and followers of Christ that can help us along in our journey. We're going to get hot and sin and shame, and happiness is never going to come to us. As counterintuitive as it is, the way to build into happiness is by confessing, calling a brother or sister and asking for their help. Um, some of you guys are, some of you guys even work for a ministry called Crew. Uh, that's the ministry that I actually uh, came to faith through. Uh, its founder was a guy named Bill Bright. I had a chance when I was younger to actually hear him speak many times before he died. And one of the things that stood out to me most, this very, very godly man, they asked him one time from the stage, uh, what is, what is the, like the most profound truth that you know? And he said, there's no such thing as a happy, disobedient Christian. There's no such thing. Like when we choose to walk a path away from God and turn away from God, the Holy Spirit will continue to press upon our hearts and make it miserable for us until we come to a place of conviction and are willing to confess, which then frees us from the shame that makes us hide. I was really uh, encouraged by this book. I think some of our students are reading it. Josh, our college pastor, turned me on to this book called The Cure. And uh, one of the things that he talks about in one of the chapters is the power of confessing before other believers and calling upon them for help. I thought I'd read a little section of it. He says, but what if instead there was a friend so safe that the worst aspects could be known? I would not be loved less, but actually loved more by opening up. That thought, my friend, is what broke me open. It was the exact opposite of what I'd always feared. For a long time now, I believed if others knew this dark part about me, that I'd, be, that I'd be pitied or I'd lose my seat at the table. So I just learned how to bury those pains and bury those unresolved dark thoughts. So one day I risked it, I, th I think. If that's true, if people get to love me more when I let them into my mess, then I have to find some people to try this out with. I found some. It was not an exact science, but I was committed to not giving up. Such a life had to be possible. And over time, I learned that it was not just possible, but stunningly real and true. It was God's gift for me to try. It began to reshape my entire life. For the first time, the real me was revealed and enjoyed, and I experienced love from others. They were allowing me to protect them. It felt incredible. I was honestly working on the sermon, and <laughs> I had to send a note to Jake and, Jake and Josh and say, hey, <laughs> I, can't, I can't teach this unless I tell you something that, that, that I'm struggling with. And, 
and confessed it. And, it. and it brings freedom and it brings happiness because I don't have to be in shame and I can be with brothers that, that would send me encouraging texts back and, and remind me of God's love and their love for me because I let them into my struggle. It's counterintuitive, but this is where we find happiness is by confessing and repenting of our sin. James would write it this way. James wrote, is there any one of you in trouble? Let him pray. Is there anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they sin, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do we want healing? Do we want happiness? It comes, ironically, as we practice this rhythm of confession and repentance to be free from the hindrance of sin and shame. So very practically, I'd encourage you to do these things, to confess your sins to a trusted friend, like be real with some people in your life, ask for their help and receive their love, break the cycle of sin and shame. Second, uh, join a midtown huddle. If you're not familiar with that term, we have midtown communities that are kind of our uh, multi-generational and multi-gender groups, much larger, main purpose is community, but within our huddles, same gender, two, three, four people at a time in, in these groups, that's the place where you can really get real with each other. And so confess to a friend, but also join a huddle. Let me know. Come talk to me afterwards if you'd like to get into a group where you can be loved and known like that. And then lastly, which we'll get the chance to do here in communion, is preach the gospel to yourself. Like daily, we have to remind ourselves that yes, we have sin, but we have a God that loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that he rose from the dead and promises us new life in him, that he took on all of our sin and all of our shame is upon him. And now, because of our faith in him, we're actually right before God. We're righteous before God. We're reconciled with God. We have to remind ourselves of that day after day after day, week after week as we take communion. So I'd encourage you as we take communion here, as we worship in these last songs, just to, to give your heart to God, to think about these five things. And if there's one of them in particular that stood out, to say, hey, I need to build this rhythm into my life. And particularly as we close here on this idea of confession and repentance, to know that Jesus paid for our sin. We don't have to be under sin and shame any longer. We can receive communion today and be reminded of that. And it was his body that was broken for us. It was his blood that was spilled for us that gave us the reconciliation and the right standing with God. He welcomes us as his kids. Let me pray for us. And during the communion, during these next three songs, you can go to the front or the back and take communion at your own pace. I would encourage you to really engage in worship. God, we thank you uh, that you're the God who knows us like these parents in this room who know their kids so well to, to build rhythms in their lives that would give them a greater chance at happiness. You've done the same with us. And so we ask that you would just speak to our hearts, and if there's any of these that stood out uh, specifically uh, to us, that you give us courage to take steps of, of faith and to build these rhythms into our lives. We're grateful, God, that you've given them to us and that you know our humanity. We celebrate communion. We do uh, worship you, and we thank you that you've taken all of our sin and shame. And we rejoice in that as we sing now. In Jesus' name, amen.